This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's time. Time for silver and black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas. We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field and bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it it on. Here's your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. Welcome back, Raider Nation. It is time for Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast where we talk nothing but Las Vegas Raiders football. Thanks for being back with us. Hope your offseason is off to an okay start. We got lots to talk about here on the show. Do us a favor. If you don't already subscribe to the show, please do. Uh, anywhere you get your audio podcast, just look for Silver and Black today. Turn on the auto download. So every time we put out a show, yes, during the season, or excuse me, during the offseason, the frequency goes down just a little bit, but we're always here. Any news breaks, we're going to be on. And, of course, we're always here with you two times a week during the offseason to keep you up on the latest of what's happening in Raider Nation and the NFL. And to do that, I can't do it by myself. I just can't. I can't. So I have to have my trusty partner in this end of our, and that is, of course, Mr. Mo Moten. He is a national NFL writer at Bleacher Report. He is also the Raiders columnist on sportsnot.com. Mo, you were busy this past weekend, man. Let me tell you, the playoff games, for the most part, uh, surprised. You know, we talked about it on last week's Thursday show or Friday mailbag show. We talked about I thought bills would roll. In fact, I, I had them on like two or three different parlays, so I lost money on them. Everybody thought so. Bills go up there. Skylar Thompson has a game. The bills are kind of iffy, iffy. Uh, and uh, it was a surprising weekend. The Giants, though, was the one game that I called that I really thought the Giants might go in there and beat Minnesota, but an exciting weekend to start off the NFL playoffs, despite the fact there's no silver and black involved. No silver and black involved, but I'm sure Raider fans were happy to see the Chargers choke once again. <laughs> I mean, how do you go? I mean, oh. it felt like a Raider game. You go up 27-0 on the Jags, who, who the Raiders had a big lead on, and then, you, and then the Chargers, you chuck it away, and again, the inexplicable coaching. I oh. tweeted this out. I said, players win games, but when you have the right coaching, your players win more games. Correct. And that charges coaching staff for them not to run the ball. They went they went full Josh McDaniels in September. Didn't run the ball enough, didn't run the clock, and the Jaguars either climb back in that game and win it. 
Well, the interesting thing there too is <clears throat> I did, and I sent you, I sent you and Evan this as I did it, because as you know, and and some of the folks out there still don't like it, but I grew up a Charger fan, right? That was until 2014. I was done with them, and anyway. I've seen this my whole life, so I, I like I had a feeling. <laughs> so uh, we can now we can now do sports betting on our phone here in Ohio. I used to do it in Vegas when I was there, obviously, but now in Ohio. So I'm like I look at the line at halftime with that big lead, and it says plus fourteen hundred Jaguars plus fourteen hundred, and I turn to my wife and I said I gotta put five dollars on this. They 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 choke. This is what this franchise does. So sure enough, I put five dollars, just five dollars down. I know big better. Five dollars. I win seventy five bucks though, Mo. I mean, it was. I was so sure that they were going to give it back because of the coaching. But I will say this too, and I don't think a lot of people are talking about this uh, since since uh, since yesterday on Monday, and everybody started recapping the games. The Chargers. You're right about the run, but they don't have a power running game, right? Austin Eckler's a great back, but he's not a power runner. They don't have a power running back. So when you get that big lead, what do you got to do? You got to pound the ball, pound the ball, and they just don't have it. Josh Jacobs can be a power runner, right? And, of course, you have Jakob Johnson, too, there, so you can kind of do the one-two punch. And with the Chargers, again, because the the organization is such crap and you have, um, uh, whatchamacallit, nepotism in the front office, they don't have the right coach. They don't have the right players. They have all those pieces around them. But it just goes to show you that the Raiders aren't the only dysfunctional organization out there when it comes to uh, coaching and decision-making. The thing is, the Chargers, I think, tried to get a power running back. They did draft yeah. Isaiah Spiller, I believe, in the fourth round. They, right. they also used Joshua Kelly uh, as a back that can run in between the tackles, but not effective. I believe Josh Kelly had seven carries for 20 yards. So you're right. They don't have that power running back for them to, to milk the clock. But to me, I would just say, just get – just. You don't even have to get four or five yards. Just hand the ball off so that the clock runs. When you yeah. start, when you continue to throw the ball and you're not completing passes, you stop the clock and you give that team a chance to get back in it. And that's what happens. Yes. And of course, AFC West foes are always going to get the ire of Raider Nation, especially when Raider Nation's not in the playoffs. They're going to do that. But speaking of that, we talked about the Buffalo Bills. Miami Dolphins gave them all they could handle and more. In that game, of course, if the Dolphins could have passed the ball and had a better offensive and more effectiveness, they might have beat the Bills up there. Secondarily, Cincinnati down here where I'm at, Cincinnati played a very good defense in Baltimore, but Cincinnati's offense just looked out of sync all night. You had Jamar Chase dropping some balls here and there. Uh, It just couldn't get it going. So now you have Cincinnati going up to Buffalo, and I don't know. I mean, look, you favor Buffalo because they're at home. Of course, it's hard to play up there. But right now, I know I know Raider fans are going to hate to hear this, Mo. But right now, I don't think either of those teams, how they're playing right now, beat the Chiefs. No, but I will. There's one caveat. The, the issue with the Bills, and I've had this issue, not to be a self-promoter, but I did a Bleacher Report live show. And I said my issue with the Bills was Josh Allen is too sloppy. Since Brian, since Brian Dable has went to New York and helped Daniel Jones, you're starting to see Josh Allen fall back into the, his old habits in his first two years with the Buffalo Bills, mm. where he was turning the ball over way too much. And he's doing that now. And this is why I don't trust the Bills. I get the great stories there with DeMar Hamlin and that team playing with emotion, but I don't trust Josh Allen. I trust Joe Burrow more than I do Josh Allen. Now, the problem with Cincinnati is their offensive line is banged up. They lost another offensive lineman, Jonah Williams, uh, on Sunday night. So, 
are they going to be able to hold up if, if the Bills were to blitz them? Can Joe Burrow have enough time to get the ball downfield to Jamar Chase? That's the big question. Yeah, and not only that, but the, the Bengals' defense, I mean, you still have Eli App- Apple out there starting. That tells you where they're at. So they need they need to improve. But we'll see. The, the point you made on um, uh, Josh Allen. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm going to cough here in a second. Excuse me, here they go. All right. Um, the point you made on Josh Allen is a good one because Josh Allen, and I, I said this too, I think last season about Patrick Mahomes, although Patrick Mahomes done a lot more than Josh Allen, but with Josh Allen... I, I don't call Josh Allen a great quarterback yet because I don't think he is. I think he is a great talent, and you've seen him regress a little bit versus last year. And so if I'm the Bills and I'm watching that, no matter how this postseason pans out for them, they got to go find they got to find their quarterback whisperer for next year because they got to get him back. They've invested too much money, and that team is in the window that they're going to have three to five years, and that's it. They have got to find somebody to help him get back to where he was last year with Dable. And and to relate this to the Raiders, this is why it's important to have that quarterback head coaching tandem pair mm-hmm. that, that that mix and match together. Because if you don't, if it if it's like what you see with the Chargers, because a lot of let's be honest, a lot of people feel like the Chargers and Josh and Justin Herbert could do a lot better if they had a better head coach. Yep. You you just mentioned it with Josh Allen and I said it. Since Dable has left Buffalo, Josh Allen is not the same quarterback. Still he he'll still give you the wild plays. As you said, great talent, big arm, can run, can knock over defenders for a first down. He does all of that stuff, but when it comes to refinement, he's lost that this year. So with the Raiders, whoever their quarterback is going to be, it has to be someone who matches with Josh McDaniel's system because apparently Josh McDaniel felt like their car wasn't a good fit. Yeah, that's uh, that's clear. And Mo, uh, we're going to we're going to jump in now. We want to use this show to to do something because over the next several weeks, right from from now, we're mid-January. So we got basically three months until the NFL draft. Right. Am I right about that? Yeah. Three months till April. Um, In the meantime, there's going to be moves made. We have the Derek Carr thing coming up here. Whatever they do with him. My guess is Derek Carr gets cut. He walks away. I don't think he's going to help the Raiders out. But I will say this, one of the important things here, and I think something that people get confused on, even I do sometimes, is the salary cap, right? So where are the Raiders? You hear, oh, Raiders have a big salary cap number, or this team doesn't have a salary cap number. Well, you and I mention it all the time on here, dead cap money, all that stuff. So what we decided with this kind of first true first offseason show, if you will, uh, heading into and still going through the NFL playoffs before uh, we start to see some moves from the Raiders is to kind of go over that a little bit to give you a little bit of salary cap one-on-one, and then let's get to the point where the Raiders are so we can understand what they need to do, what they can do, what they're hampered by, what advantages they have, and go from there, okay? So we're going to start with this, and Mo, I know you've covered a lot too, so you can pepper in what I don't cover, but I think one of the things that, too, people understand is, okay, well, why do you have a salary cap, and where does it come from? And really, if you think about it, if any of you work for a company that has profit sharing, that's exactly what it is, is the NFL takes the percentage of revenues determined by the NFL uh, collective bargaining agreement. So this is the deal between the players and the league, okay? And uh, that includes the media revenue, so all the money that these big networks pay, the NFL ventures, so anything the NFL is selling, uh, as well as postseason revenues, local revenues from the teams themselves uh, are in there. They take that, they divide it by 32, okay? The players get 48% of that cut, all right? So that's the profit-sharing piece of it. 
So if you look at the salary cap that way, that why are they doing what they're doing, right? And and part of this too, Mo, is, and we'll get to this in a second, is the salary cap is not only meant to keep the league and it's succeeded, I mean, it's succeeded beyond wild expectations. Because if you look at the NFL compared to almost every other league, it's the only league where you have teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars who could finish in last place two consecutive years and not win more than four games and suddenly find themselves in the divisional playoffs uh, within two years after that, right? The next year, actually. That's what it does. It gives competitive parity, if you will. We always hear the word parity with the NFL, Mo. Um, but part of this also is to make sure, and the way this works, and I think people forget about this, and I want to get your comments. Part of the salary cap's function, yes, is to keep it competitive, but it's also to force owners to spend a specific amount of money on their payroll. So you can't be like like one of these baseball teams, like the Cincinnati Reds or the Pittsburgh Pirates, right, who spend zero money on their payroll because they're just trying to make money at the gate or whatever they're doing or they're just trying not to lose money. So so, so those, those tightwad owners. In the NFL, Mo, the salary cap partly is that because you have to spend 80, you have to go up to 89% of the cap or if you don't do that for two consecutive years, you then have to pay money back to the players. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Right, and I believe Dallas Cowboys were in a situation where you hear you have to spend a certain amount to reach a cap floor. Yep, we're used to hearing we're used to hearing about teams that are over the cap and have to get under the cap, so they have to restructure <laughs> and let players go or what have you. But you're right; there's also a floor that you have to spend a certain amount going into the new league year, or as you said, there's a penalty we have to pay money back. So. Just keep an eye out for that. That's not the Raiders issue, of course, because no. <laughs> they they they've been spending money. They've been spending money in the wrong places. We'll get to that soon. Yeah. But again, you're you're right. There is a cap. There's a cap floor and is a cap ceiling. Right. So so the way that works, it's the minimum salary basically. So the teams, as I said, they have to spend eighty nine percent of the cap over four years. Okay. And if they don't do it over four years, then they have to give the difference to the players. So there's a penalty. So so that I mean that means obviously owner you have to spend it. If you don't, you're losing. It's it's user to lose it basically. Now um, one of the things that we talked about last year, Mo, when we had all these Raiders signings, we had the Derek Carr signing, we had uh, Waller, we had Renfro, we had Max Crosby, the four of those guys, was this idea about signing bonuses, right? So a lot of people I think they misunderstand because the signing bonus, while it's not necessarily their salary, a lot of people look at that I think incorrectly. You know, just because people don't look into it, they look at the salary number as the cap number. But signing bonuses, which is obviously a lot of cash up front, the, the team, though, takes that signing bonus. So let's say you sign, I don't know, let's put a name out there, Tom Brady, and you give him a $25 million signing bonus. That $25 million signing bonus over, let's say it's a four-year contract. That signing bonus is counted against your cap for four years. So they spread it out over the length of the term of the contract. So that's where you get a lot of flexibility. The player gets the guaranteed money up front, 
But for the club, they don't have to count it up against one year. For example, that first year, it's not a $25 million hit. They can stretch it out, which we saw next segment. We're going to go into specific Raider players, and we'll go over some of that as well. But, Mo, I think that's one of the most un- misunderstood parts of the salary cap is, well, if we gave them a bonus, and why is it counting dead cap money and so on? And that's the reason is they, they spread it out over the, the, the course of the contract. So the longer the contract, the less hit it has on the dead cap money each year. And you bring that up with Tom Brady, and I and I actually mentioned this in a previous show. Tom mm-hmm. Brady's cap hit this year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was, I believe, eleven point eight or eleven point nine million. Right. It's for that reason, is because they're not using all their cap just to pay him. As, as you said, they're spreading it out so that there is dead cap money on the back end, but you get the flexibility of being able to spend on other areas of need, and you're not spending all on your quarterback. Right. And and I mean, that that's just an example. Just for, for sake of argument, if Tom Brady wanted $20 million to play for the Raiders for on a one-year deal or, or, or a three-year deal or four, let's just say it's a four-year deal, even though the, the length of terms for these deals only matter for the cap hit. They don't actually matter for uh, the actual contract. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but, but let's just say they gave him $20 million. Like, hey, $20 million come play for us. They're thinking it's a year or two. Um, that's going to be basically a four-year contract at $5 million per year, and that's where it's going to hit you. So Tom Brady would get $20 million up front, but he's only going to count against the cap for $5 million per year. Now, it could be right. two years after he's gone, too, if uh, if he doesn't play out that contract, which obviously he's going to be, what, he'd be 55 years old, or no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> 52. So so that's how that signing bonus piece works, and I, and I thought that was important to bring up. The other thing, Mo, is one of the things we get into and people talk about, and I get a lot of people who tweet at me and ask me, about like, how does that work, is the dead money, right? So if you look at the dead money, the dead money particularly is what players want. They want it's fully guaranteed money to a player, even if they are traded or cut. So in the NFL, and I know you, you see guys in the NBA always spouting off, uh, when DeMar Hamlin got hurt, I think it was, um, I think it was Kobe, not Kobe. Uh, what am I saying? Kobe. Um, God, God bless Kobe. Um, uh, LeBron James saying, see, this is why these guys need guaranteed contracts. So there's not guaranteed contracts in the NFL like there is in the NBA. So what happens is uh, the only way you're going to hedge yourself as an NFL player and make sure that you don't get cut or traded without a no trade clause really is to get that that big, that dead money hit, to get that money guaranteed fully, just like uh, you saw Deshaun Watson in Cleveland do inexplicably. Um, because then if they're traded or released, the money goes against the cap anyway. So the team, and there's a good example of this on the Raiders, which of course is Chandler Jones, which we'll talk about next segment. But it's a good example of, hey, a guy doesn't work out, but next year he's $15 million or $13 million against your cap. You're not going to cut him. Because you're paying them all that money, you might as well put them out there, and at the very least, you get somebody, you get some hours on it. But, but I think that dead cap um, confuses people because they see a big dead cap number and they don't understand it, and they don't understand why, for example, Aaron Rodgers would be hard to trade. Because even if Aaron Rodgers is traded or cut, they still have to that that dead cap number still counts against the team. The Raiders have. I won't say several, but they have a handful of examples right now. Yeah. Players that are being carried over in their dead cap. Corey Littleton, I believe, is going to be owed $10 million still. They actually designated him as a post-June 1 cut. So what that means is they mm-hmm. save some cap up front, but they also push some money back into the later years, 2023 being one of those years where they're still yeah. going to have to owe him some money. I believe Carl Nassib is another one, about $5 million. 
Kenyon Drake, another one about 4.4 million. So there are guys that the Raiders have cut that they guarantee money to that they're still going to have to pay in 2023 because they push some of that money into the, again, the later years. Yeah, no, exactly. And by the way, they can, the, the only flexibility you have with dead cap money, just, just, I think it's key to mention this one is let's say you cut somebody, you owe them dead cap money. Um, you can spread that out over two years to your point you just made, uh, right about NASA, right? So they're doing that as well. If you look at the Raiders and we're going to get specifically, but yes, you also like, for example, next year, 2023, you still owe nine, almost $10 million to Corey Littleton. Corey Littleton. Mm-hmm. So there's a good one as well. Alex Leatherwood's going to get $4 million. Uh, Tyree Gillespie, $250,000. John Simpson, $200,000. So, so, yeah, so there it is. But that's the dead cap situation. You can spread it out like they did with Littleton, Nassib, and Drake over two years so it doesn't hit your cap all at once. That's the only flexibility the NFL gives you. So that's why the NFL and teams are so, and the Raiders need to be so careful in how much they guarantee the money. That's what played significantly into the Derek Carr decision, which we'll talk about as well. All right, Mo, we're up against our first break. When we come back, we're going to talk specifically, now that we've given you a little bit of salary cap 101, we're going to talk specifically about the Raiders and how that impacts them. We're going to go through the formula, and then we're going to go through specific players and how that works. You're listening to Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast with Mo and Scott. We'll be back right after these words.